Well, again, good morning. And my name is Mark, and it's a joy to worship and to glorify our great God with you this morning. Um, I'm glad to be back from some vacation. Thankful for that time that our family had to travel up to the States to see our son Andrew, who lives up there, and our parents who are aging. And so that was a good time to rest and to be away. But I'll say I'm thankful to return home here and thankful to be with you um, back at uh, Union Church this morning. Um, we, we got, uh, you know, of course, this time of year, many people are traveling. And of course, many people that have, like us, have um, one foot in this world in Guatemala and one foot in the world up in the States. You know, it's the time a lot of people are traveling right now. But um, good to be home. Um, Megan and I, and we kind of got the, the real Guatemala welcome. We first, first trip to the Price Mart, we got caught in terrible traffic. And then you know, got caught walking in the rain yesterday, and then this morning we've got a loudspeaker in a 10K right here on Reforma, so it's like, welcome, welcome to Guate, right? Um, so we're back. Anyway, today we are going to be continuing in Mark's gospel today, as we have been doing, and today we finish up chapter 12. I started chapter 12 back at the beginning of July, and, and uh, we worked through that all through the month. I'm really grateful for the guys who who filled the pulpit and served you in my absence. And today we're going to close up chapter 12, verses 35 through 44. So listen now to God's word to us today. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared the Lord, said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their, putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people, they threw in large amounts But a poor widow came, and she put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, she put in everything, all that she had to live on. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And Father God, we do thank you for this time once again to to gather in your name and in your presence and in your house to worship you in community. And Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that by your spirit you would press these teachings deeply into our hearts this day. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, Lord, would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Indeed, you are our rock and our Redeemer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Sometimes it seems as though the church is constantly in the headlines. It doesn't take, doesn't take much of a, a search, a Google search, to, to find articles and items about the church in the news, some good and others bad. Sometimes we see the church as a place that's serving the needy, helping its community, responding to disasters. Other times we see the church that is corrupted, the church that's engaged in politics, the church that has some kind of scandal going on. What do we see most often when we see the church in the headlines? Do we see a church that's serving others, or do we see a church that is self-serving? Do we see a church of hope-filled preaching of the good news that heals the broken, or do we see a church of hateful rhetoric? Do we see a church with life-giving faith or with an empty faith? Well, sadly, I think the latter is often on display more than the former, And for those of us in the church, that can sometimes be confusing. And certainly for those who are outside of the church, that can be confusing. In his classic book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis, through an interaction of two of the characters, Screwtape and Wormwood, he builds out a concept that he called Christianity and. Christianity and. Christianity and something else added to it. And he's saying when someone encompasses Christianity and that they are binding together Jesus and something else. Jesus and my personal preferences. Jesus and my political leanings. Jesus and my good works. You you get the picture. And he calls that Christianity and. In the beginning, in the garden, God did not intend there to be an and. He intended us to take him as he is, no more, no less, and to live within the reality and to be shaped by the reality that he had created. And the reality is that at that time, gospel doctrine was flourishing. We did see God as he was. There was no separation. There was no and. But we all know. We felt that. We've experienced that in the church, Christianity and. We, we've experienced uh, a separated gospel. We've experienced the reality of sin, sin that has torn apart what God has intended. And it's with that in mind that we step into the context of our text today from Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 35, and and we see Jesus continuing to converse with people in the temple. We we know um, from, from this section of Mark's gospel that Jesus has entered Jerusalem and if you remember, he, he entered with a fanfare, a triumphal entry, people calling him the Lord, calling him the Messiah, the Christ, praising him. Now he's in the temple. He's gone to the temple, the one place that matters the most. It's his father's house. Yet in the temple, he's not found flourishing. He's not found true worship, but he's found corruption. He's found manipulation. He's, he's found the deception 
of God's people. And it's here as we look at the text today that, you know, we can be reminded of our own experiences in the church and with other Christians where there's been deception, where there's been brokenness, where there's been sin, where there's been that Christianity and. And we can begin to to wonder about and, and today to ask the question of what does Jesus truly desire for his church? What does Jesus desire at a more personal level for you? What does he desire for me? We'll begin to unpack the answer to those questions as, as we dig into Mark 12, 35 through 44 today. What does Jesus desire of you and of me and of his church? Well, here in the text, Jesus is in the temple. He's addressing a crowd. Specifically here, he's addressing the religious leaders. And he asks a question, why do the leaders of the law say the Messiah is the son of David? He asked them this, and he's getting right to the heart of the matter of, what, of that which our faith runs on. The religious leaders would have believed that the Messiah was the anticipated king to come in the line of David, who would draw them out from oppression under Roman rule. The Christ, in the mind of the religious leaders, was to be a human son who would sit on a human throne and who would rescue them from human enemies. And Jesus was these things. He was a man. He was a human. He was a human son. He would sit on a human throne. But but he wasn't just that. Jesus wasn't just human. And he he said in verse 36, David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. There he's quoting from the Psalms. He's quoting from Psalm 110. And then he asked another question, kind of a conundrum for the people. And he says in verse 37, David said, or David himself calls him Lord. David himself calls him Lord. How can he then be his son? Jesus is broadening. He's expanding the category of of what and who the Messiah is. That he is to inhabit the Davidic throne. But he is to be more than just a human king on a human throne. Now, in verse 36, there's this, uh, the Lord said to my Lord, this first Lord, the first mention of Lord is speaking about God the Father. The second mention of Lord is speaking about God the Son or the Messiah or the Christ, right? The Savior that was promised, the one who would lead God's people out of oppression, the one who would establish his kingdom's rule forever. And Jesus wasn't just a human descendant. He was, but he wasn't just that. And that changes everything for them and for us. Everything that Jesus calls their attention to and to ours was was that David's son can't just be human, right? And that's why he says, you know, of his Lord. The Lord says to my Lord. So what we know about the descendants of David was that those kings who came in the descendant of David, they came, they, they were born, they were human, they, they did some good things. 
but they also failed miserably. And then they also died. But Jesus is not like that. Jesus is a new and a better king in the line of David. He is the Messiah who came to save us, but he's not only a man. He is God's son since before the foundations of the world. And and in a cosmic sense, he has come to crush sin, Satan, hell, and death. And he, he will bring redemption for the world. So Jesus is the Messiah. He is God incarnate. He is in his full glory in the temple. And he is publicly displaying that the one who asks the question, so he did ask a question here, the one who asks the question is also the answer to the question. He is the God-man. He is the Lord. He is in control. And Jesus desires for us. What does Jesus desire for us? What does he desire for his church? He desires for us to see him as he is. No more, no less, as the God-man, fully human, fully God, come to save and redeem his people. And, And to remind us that we desperately need someone like him who can bear our burdens, who can clean up our mess, who can forgive our sins, who can carry us through a broken and chaotic world. We desperately need Him to be more than a man. We need Him to be a redeeming God. So Jesus here is laying claim to everything. And He desires for you to see Him as He truly is, fully man and fully God. Here's where the next scene comes into play. Verse 37, we read there that the crowd was drawn in. The crowd was pleased with his teaching. This is kind of typical in Mark. Jesus draws a crowd or goes into a crowd to teach. They're drawn into his teaching. He's got their attention. And then he begins to speak to the crowd. He's been speaking to the religious leaders. Now he's really specifically speaking to the crowd. And and he's speaking about the religious leaders And he starts by saying this in in verse 38. He says, beware. Watch out. Pay attention to what these people are doing around you, right? Beware. Watch out. And he begins to make this case by, he first talks about the outer trappings or the dress of the religious leaders. He says they like to dress in this certain way with these certain kind of flowing robes so that when they go into the marketplace... They'll, they'll get the respect of the people. People will give them their proper honor and respect because of how they're dressed and how they look. Uh, another way to think about that is to think about a military officer. A military officer dressed with his, you know, with his bars, with the symbols of him having rank. And then if that officer were, go, were to go into the barracks with the enlisted men, right, the enlisted men, would they would at once jump up to attention, saluting 
this officer because of how he's dressed. Because of how he's dressed, it's showing who he is and that he has rank and they must show respect and honor to him. And that's kind of how the religious leaders were acting. Look how we're dressed. You must show. They had this pretense that people needed to show them great honor because of their um, their so-called rank. That they would also look for the most important seats when they went to worship in the synagogue. There were the seats for all the normal people, but they didn't want to sit in the normal seats with the normal people. They had special seats set aside just for the religious leaders, and that's where they would want to sit to, to garner honor and respect. When they went to banquets or house parties, they, they wanted honor. They wanted to be seated as close as they could be to the host to show that they were upwardly mobile, to show that they were important and privileged. This is all really feeding their pride, and that's at the heart of what Jesus is getting to. And here, Jesus doesn't give this teaching, and then he doesn't end it and just say, this is bad, don't do it. No, no. He he goes further, and he begins to describe to the crowd the kind of the spiraling down destructive nature of pride. And in verse 40, he says that these religious leaders, in their pride, they devour widows' houses. They devour widows' houses. Now, throughout the Bible, of course, you know that that God makes a point that we are to care for the widow and the orphan and the sojourner, those who are most vulnerable among us, we are to care for them and to give special attention to them. And so Jesus is sort of illustrating to the crowd here this destructive nature of pride that leads one to devour, to consume others in a quest for, for growing honor and, and status here. And he's saying they're, they're overlooking those who need the most help. Those who are most vulnerable in their church or in their sphere of influence are overlooking them. And what's happening is that in pride, their hearts are divided. Sometimes for us, in our own pride, our hearts are divided. And we can't fully serve and love God if we are self-serving. And it's almost as if the religious leaders had rewritten Scripture, like the greatest commandment to say, you should love yourself with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength, love yourself, right? And, and you should take advantage of your neighbor. Now, at this point, I want to make note that, that I know some of you here today, you've been devoured in the church. Maybe you've been hurt by the church. You've been devoured by someone else's pride, maybe even a ministry leader's pride. And it hurts. It is a painful thing to experience. And and I just want you to hear this today that Jesus says to you, if you've been devoured, Jesus says to you, I see you. I know you. He invites you, come to me. Take my yoke upon you and you will find rest for your souls. He sees you. And Jesus also says this. He says in verse 40 that those prideful men, they will be punished severely. They will receive their condemnation. 
He's saying justice will be served. He's saying you will not be overlooked. He will not stand for his flock to be abused. So what does Jesus desire of us? What does Jesus desire of his church? He desires that we be aware of and that we put into check our pride. He desires that we don't let our pride lead us to destruction and to the exploitation of his flock. He desires that we keep our pride in check. Now remember Jesus. Jesus came from heaven, from his heavenly throne. And he came to earth in what we call the incarnation, and he became a baby, most helpless kind of person you could be, a baby. And he grew up with no status. He was found in obscurity. The religious leaders, they grabbed the most important seats. But Jesus, he stood with the people, and he healed them, and he taught them. The religious leaders, they they wanted the best seats at the banquet. They wanted to be recognized and famous. But what did Jesus do? Jesus ate with tax collectors and with sinners. He gave up his status, and he was himself devoured and condemned for the sin of the world. All the while, the religious leaders were devouring widows, yet they will receive their condemnation. So what I want to say is this. I want to say this to every single one of us here at Union Church today. Beware of your pride. Beware of the religious leader that lives within all of us. Keep it in check. Look to Jesus. Trust on Him. Find your life. Find your purpose. Find your meaning in Him and set your pride aside. Now, the final scene of this text comes in the last four verses. Jesus, He moves from conversing with the religious leaders and teaching the larger crowd, and then He goes to a different place in the, the temple complex, the outside of the court of the Gentiles, and he, he sits down, the text says, opposite of the temple treasury where offerings would be made. And uh, many people were there, many people were coming and going, there's a bustle of a crowd, many people giving their offerings, and Jesus sits here and he does some people watching, right? He observes what people are doing. And verse 41 says, he saw many rich people. They were putting in their offerings, large offerings into the treasury. And then as he watched the people, his eye caught one woman, one one widow, a poor widow. And he kind of locks on to this woman. She doesn't have a name. She's a nobody. She's easily missed in the crowd. She's kind of making her way through the crowd of people to get to the offering box and and she takes out two coins two small copper coins you know really not worth anything at all just like a penny or two and he watches her as she with her two copper coins moves toward makes her way toward the offering box 
And in verse 43, Jesus then calls his disciples to himself. This is a pattern we've seen all throughout Mark's gospel. Jesus teaches the crowds, and then he withdraws. And then only with his disciples, he teaches his disciples sort of more one-on-one. And he calls his disciples to himself, and he says to the disciples, he says, this woman has put more into the treasury, more into the offering than anyone else there who has been making offerings. Now, you might think, well, Jesus is really bad with math, right? Because obviously these other people have put more in, but, but I don't think Jesus is speaking materially here about the amount of the offering. Rather, what he's doing is he's, he's turning upside down the systems of this world, and he's teaching about the reality of the economy of the kingdom of God, which is so different than, than the system of this world. So the widow, she, she stands in stark contrast to the rich people, putting in large sums. She stands in stark contrast to these powerful religious leaders. And I think what we see here is that Jesus isn't just interested in the portion. Rather, Jesus is interested in the proportion. What the rich and the religious leaders are doing is, it's in a way self-serving, right? If a rich person puts in a big offering, well, it might just be a drop in the bucket to them. But it gives them status. Maybe it buys them power. But this poor, unnoticed widow, she doesn't just put in a portion. She puts in everything. She goes all in. She's holding nothing back. She is loving the Lord her God with all of her heart, with all of her strength, with all of her mind, with all of her soul, even when it costs her everything. So what does Jesus desire of his church? What does Jesus desire of you and of me, friends? He desires everything. He desires all of you. He doesn't just want 10% of you. He wants all of you. Now, what's so powerful about this widow's gift is this. This widow's gift, it gives us a window into the heart of God, right? There's a story being told through this widow's offering. It's a story of a God who Before the foundations of the world, he held nothing back. It's a story about a God who will one day crush the head of the enemy. A God who showed himself faithful to free his people from bondage, to look after the orphan and the widow and the most vulnerable around him. Time and time again, when his people would sin and sin against him, yet he would pursue them again and again. Until at one point, he did something he had never done before. God became incarnate. God became a man and walked among this broken and sinful world. 
And as he did that, he had one thing on his mind, and that was to empty himself in order to redeem that which seemed unredeemable. In the same way that this woman didn't hold anything back, she didn't save any of her wage, she put it all in, gave it all, Jesus also didn't go halfway to the cross. He also didn't hold anything back. He went all the way. He went all in. He gave all of himself for you and for me and for his church so that we can be free. So why wouldn't we go all in for him when we see all that he has done for us? At the beginning of the sermon, I mentioned about how we sometimes see bad news about the church, confusing messages about the church, when the church doesn't live as it should or love Jesus as she should, when we are not aware of our pride and don't keep our pride in check. And the effects of that can be corroding and they can be eroding over time. But here, We see in the example of Jesus how we are to be all in for him, just as he has been all in for us. Now, as Jesus closes out his interactions at the temple, he then sets his face toward the cross. And Mark wants to communicate one simple yet profound truth to us today, and that is that Jesus is God. He is holding nothing back from us, so why don't we give all of ourselves to Him? Jesus is calling all of those in need all those who desperately need a Savior to come to Him. And He's creating a kingdom, as the singer John Guerrera writes, where blessed are the poor who have nothing to own. Blessed are the mourners who are crying alone. Blessed are the guilty who have nowhere to go, for their hearts have a road to the kingdom of God, and their souls are the songs of the kingdom of God, and they will find a refuge, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Amen. Father God, we do thank you today for your word. We thank you for your kingdom. We thank you for your teachings, reminding us that you have gone all in for us. You have given everything, just as that poor widow did. And I pray today that we would be a people who go all in for you, who are willing to give everything for you, for what you have done for us, as we love those around us, as we serve those around us in serving you. Father, we pray that we would keep that religious leader within us in check, that we would control our pride, that we would not be so much focused on serving ourselves that we lose sight of serving and loving you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he came to earth to live a life we could not live, to die a death we deserved on the cross, 
to rise again triumphant over sin, Satan, death, and hell, that we might live and have freedom in his name. And we thank you for the great news that one day he will come again to make all things right and new and wonderful. We rejoice in these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.